All right, Philippians chapter 3, we're going to continue our series that we're doing, A Fellowship of Joy. And I want to just read to you the opening verse of chapter 3. I'm going to read from the Christian Standard Bible. It says this, In addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me. And it is a safeguard for you. That opening verse intrigued me as I was preparing for today, over the last couple of weeks, reading through it and thinking, how is it that Paul's desire to speak or to write to the Philippian church, to us, with the command which says, rejoice in the Lord, how is that a safeguard? For us, he says it, doesn't it? To write to you again about this is no trouble to me. Paul finds it easy to talk about this. And he says it is a safeguard for us. So I'm going to ask a question from this text, and I think the answers flow on. We're going to look through down to about verse 16 today, I hope. Verse 1 asks a question which I think we need to seriously consider. What are the defining marks of a life of rejoicing? What are the defining marks of a life of rejoicing? So often in my life at least, maybe you've experienced this as well, My rejoicing ebbs and flows depending on how either enjoyable I think my life is, how maybe easy the circumstances of my life are. And so my rejoicing can seem to come in and out like the tide. But but this verse says, rejoice in the Lord. Doesn't add a qualifier. It doesn't say when this occurs. It just says, rejoice in the Lord. Much of the theme of this book so far has been joy. The joy that we find in Christ, the joy that we have in the gospel of grace that is found in Jesus. And here again, Paul is saying, rejoice. Now, as you continue to read, it sort of feels like On one hand, we could think, Paul's just thrown that in as a random thought. And now he's going to get on talking about all the things that he really wants to talk about. But that's not how God's Spirit has ordered his word. It's there for a reason. So let's start with that question. And then I'm going to try and pick up, I think, three ways that Paul tries to answer that question for us. In this text. So the question again what are the defining marks of a life of rejoicing? All right, let's read what I think is going to be. We'll read the text and then I'll tell you what I think um, is a summary of how Paul tries to answer that for us. Let's read from verses 2 down to verse 6 together. I'll read it from the Christian Standard Bible. Remember? What are the defining marks of a life of rejoicing? Verse 2. Watch out for the dogs. And there's 
There's a great way to start talking about rejoicing, right? Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh. Although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew, born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. All right, let's... Pause and reflect on what Paul is saying. The question we want to ask ourselves of this text is, what are the defining marks of a life of rejoicing? Here's my summary, and then I'm going to go back and show you why I think um, I've done it that way from these six uh, few verses. Answer one to our big question is, the ability to identify counterfeit Confidence. The first mark, the first defining mark of a life of rejoicing for us as Christians is the ability to identify counterfeit confidence. So he starts in verses 2 and verse 3 with a warning. Okay, so he's just said, let's talk about rejoicing for a moment, and he switches straight to a warning which says, watch out for the dogs. We have to watch how he equates a number of things here. Watch out for the dogs. Who are the dogs? Watch out for the evil workers. So now we know these people that Paul's calling dogs, pretty harsh language. But he says, these dogs, they're evil workers. Well, what's evil about what they're doing? Well, he says, watch out now for those who mutilate the flesh. He's talking about the act of the Jewish custom, the Hebrew custom of circumcision. If you don't know what circumcision is, and you're young, ask your dad. It's Mother's Day. <laughs> All right? Um, get dad to explain it. What we can say, at least in this mixed crowd, is that it was a physical cutting away of a part of a man's flesh. It was a physical symbol that set apart Israel from all the other nations. God had instituted it in the Old Testament under his covenant of law as a way of symbolizing, always a symbol, a way of symbolizing that you are my people separated out from the world. You are different to everybody else. You are my covenant people who keep the law. That's how it had been instituted. Over time, because we're human, humans take things, good things that God has done and twist them for their own means. We've done it for all of human history. And Israel had turned the physical symbol of circumcision, not as a way of symbolically representing, I am a part of God, but it became a doorway. It became a gatekeeping exercise to say, you are acceptable and you are not. 
You are in and you are out. In fact, you can't even call yourself an honoring, righteous Israelite unless you have been circumcised. By the time we get to the the era where Paul is writing this letter to the church, so many people have heard now the gospel of grace that's found in Jesus Christ, both Jew and Gentile, those that were called to the promises of the law and those that were apart from them. And now Jesus is saying, if you want to come to me, it doesn't matter whether you're Jew or whether you're Gentile, you come to me by faith in Christ alone. It's not about your ability to keep the law. It's not about whether you are righteous by the covenant of Moses. It is about faith in Jesus. That's what defines you. That's what makes you now set apart. But of course, there were some who were traveling around the churches, especially Gentile churches, And as Paul would preach and as others would come like Apollos and Timothy and Titus and so many others who preached the gospel of grace, there were those that would walk in the door behind them as they left. And they would say, listen, did you hear what Paul said about grace? Isn't it wonderful? Do you know Jesus? And the people would say, yes, we know Jesus. And they would say, that's wonderful. But you need something more. If you want to make sure that you are acceptable to God. You need Jesus plus Abraham's law, the law of Moses. You need the covenants of God. You need to be circumcised. Paul says, watch out for those dogs. Watch out for those evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision, he says. What is this new circumcision that Paul talks about? He describes it in verse 3. The ones who worship by the Spirit of God. That's the new circumcision. You remember when Jesus was Traveling through Samaria, he stopped by a well because he was thirsty. His disciples went into town to buy some food because he was hungry. A woman, passed off by most of society because of her ethnicity, because of her lifestyle choices, she came out to the well in the heat of the day to gather water alone and Jesus met her. A great conversation with her showed her who he really was, living water. She, of course, wanted to have a religious discussion with him. Oh, our fathers say the place to worship is over there, but you Jews, you say the place to worship is over there, and Jesus responds, where you go to worship is not the point. This is the type of worshipper that the father's looking for. What's the first thing he says to her? One who worships... In what? In spirit and truth. He was leading her to himself. And now Paul says, this is what the real circumcision is. The ones who worship by the spirit of God. The ones who boast in Christ Jesus and do not put confidence in the flesh. The first way that we can define a life 
of rejoicing. The first mark that defines it is the ability to identify counterfeit confidence. Who are we looking to, to give us confidence that we are Christ's? That our righteousness is real. What confidence do you have for that? There are those who will tell you that for you to know that's real, there's a long list of things that you must accomplish and do in this life, and you must do them to perfection. If you fail at any of them, it shows that you, you don't have faith, maybe, or your faith is so weak that you'll never make it. Watch out for those dogs. Watch out for those evil doers. Watch out for those mutilators of the flesh. Paul's going to hold himself up as an example of someone. He says, this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like when you can have confidence in all your achievements. Confidence in your own ability. He gives us himself as a confidence. So he says, he's just said, do not put confidence in the flesh, right? Verse 4, although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh. Paul says, don't, don't put confidence in the flesh. But he says, but hey, listen. We've all got reasons to have confidence in the flesh. In fact, Paul says, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I've got more. And then he lists them. Circumcised on the eighth day, like every good Jewish boy should have been. He says, I'm from the nation of Israel. I know my lineage. I know my heritage. I've got spiritual money in the bank. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I'm not just a vague, oh yes, I'm an Israelite. I'm a Benjamite. I'm a Hebrew, born of Hebrews. Regarding the law, I'm a Pharisee. I'm highly trained and I know my stuff. If you want to question my zeal, think about my testimony. I pushed the church nearly to extinction because I thought that I was serving God so much. He says, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, I was blameless. All the things that Paul says I could put my confidence in, and there's a list of them. What list do you have? What's your list? When you have to reassure yourself about your position and worth in God's sight, what are the, what's the list that you drag out? I watched every live stream through the pandemic. And I got changed out of my pajamas to do it. I've attended church regularly. I've tithed generously. I've given my time. What's your list? Could be good things. Could be valuable things, but what's your list? The first defining mark of a life of rejoicing is the ability to identify counterfeit confidences. All right, here's the second. We're going to read from verse 7 down to a verse 11. It flows on from just where we've been. This is the 
the flow-on effect. Verse 7, Paul says, But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in the view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung, so that I may gain Christ and to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Here's my summary mark, a defining mark, the second defining mark of a life of rejoicing. The first was the ability to identify counterfeit confidences. The second is this. The mindset to measure things by a new standard. The mindset to measure things by a new standard. I'm a bit of a fan of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Bit of a fan. There's a really, really um, quite famous saying, all that glitters is not gold. Many of you know that statement. All that glitters is not gold. I think we can apply that to what Paul's saying here for a moment. Paul's just given us a big, long list, right? A big, long repertoire of confidence that he could have. But all that glitters is not gold. There's a long list of things that you draw on. A long list that you pull out when you want to reassure yourself of your acceptability to God. But I want to remind you that all that glitters is not gold. Paul uses pretty strong language here. All the things that he said I thought were gain. All the things that I counted on as my confidence to say, this is why I am acceptable to God. And he drew, he drew up his list. He pulled it out and he said, here it is. Look at this shiny list. I've considered to be a loss because of Christ. Jesus changes how we measure things. More than that, verse 8, I also consider not just my list, but everything. Everything to be a loss in the view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. When we hold up Jesus as the standard, everything else is dung. That's what Paul says. When we hold up Jesus, the the worth of who he is and what he has said about us, his righteousness, his value, when we hold that up as our measuring rod, it casts a shadow over everything else and we see it for what it truly is. 
I wish I had the liberty, maybe, to use a word that the original language actually means. It's meant to shock us. When he says everything else is done, he's using a word in the Greek language which is pretty shocking and it's pretty rough. You might be able to think of another word in our language, in our everyday street language that might fit that sentence. We are meant to be shocked by the things that we in our flesh value most and when we put them beside Jesus, we see them for what they are and they are a big pile of dung. All that glitters is not gold. All the things that we value and say, this, is, this matters to me. My confidence, my righteousness, it matters to me. I've built it up. Look how good it is. But the second defining mark of a life of rejoicing is a mindset to measure things by a new standard. Here's the third. Let's read from verse 12. Not that I've already reached the goal or am already made perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. If you think differently about anything, God will reveal that also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. What's... What is it that Jesus uh, has set before Paul that Paul says, that's my goal? That's my pursuit now. You see, if you have your own list, your own shiny list of the things that we would put forward to say, this is my confidence, then that's what we'll pursue, right? Because the more that we can strengthen that list, the more that we can get better at that list, the better I feel about myself. Is that the list? No. We go back into the passage that we've just read He says, back in verse, end of verse 8, he says, I want to gain Christ and to be found in him. That's what what Paul wants to gain. He says, I just want to be found in Christ. I want to be found in him. Not having, verse 9, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is found in faith. Through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God, based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death. That's Paul's goal. So down in verse 12, when he says, I haven't, I haven't already reached that goal. I'm not perfect, Paul says. 
But I make every effort to take a hold of it. Why? Because I've been taken hold by Christ. Here's my summary of the third mark, the, the last mark. The last mark that defines what it means to live a life of rejoicing is to know that success isn't defined by arrival, but by a direction. Success isn't defined by arrival. So many of us, including myself, I get to the end of a day and I can give you another list, a list of all my failures. Do you, do you, are you one of those people that draw those lists up in your head? I do. Those lists haunt me because I keep adding to them all the time. I could drag out my lists of failures that go back 20 years, 30 years. I think about things that I did as a kid that I know were complete failures. And I have this ever-growing list of failures that I rehearse in my mind at night. And if I forget to do so, I have an accuser of the brethren who comes and drags my list up and says, Chris, you're a failure. How dare you call yourself a godly man? How dare you call yourself a godly husband, a, a godly father? How dare you call yourself a shepherd of the church? How dare you call yourself a preacher of the word? You are a failure. And many of the times, many of the times I say, I know, I agree. And I don't need his accusing voice anymore because I have my own. You know what that feels like? Hard to rejoice when you rehearse those lists to yourself. But here, Paul tells me, hey, listen, my goal is Christ. My goal is his righteousness. It's fellowship with who he is. He has taken a hold of me. But I'm not perfect. I haven't reached the goal. But I make every effort to take hold of it. And in fact, he says, forgetting what is behind, I reach forward to what is ahead. I pursue as my goal. He didn't say I've arrived at my goal. He said I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. We need to know that success isn't defined by arrival. It's defined by a direction. Sometimes we use our lists of self-righteousness as a way of thinking or pursuing, gaining the approval of Jesus. We think, if I can just do better today than I did yesterday, if I can just tick off more boxes that I have to make myself feel that I'm a better Christian, or a better person, or a better dad, or a better husband, or whatever it might be that you want to be better at, if I can just tick off more of those things today, then maybe Jesus will smile at me. Maybe I will experience his blessing. Then I want to tell you this morning, if that's you, 
that I understand what that feels like because I've been there as well. But there's good news. We, we, don't, we don't have to tick off more of those boxes so that Jesus will smile at us. He has already said, You are loved. You are forgiven. Your sin has been dealt with in full. The sin of yesterday, the sin of today, the sin that will still crouch at the door tomorrow, it has been dealt with. It is finished. And not only did Jesus take all your sin in all its fullness, guess what? He has pulled all of his righteousness and said, it's yours. Success isn't defined by arrival, but it is defined by a direction. That today, I don't fight sin to gain Jesus' approval. I fight sin because I have his approval. You have the approval of Jesus if you are in him. Listen, this is not a blanket statement. There's one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind me and straining forward to what lies ahead. It's not a blanket statement which just affects everything in your life, which says, you know what? If you've experienced some bad thing in your life, just forget about that. You know, you're in Christ now, just, that's, that's your identity. Some terrible things have happened to people in this room, in our lives. Terrible things. Things that have left the mark on us. We don't just draw a line in the sand and say, oh, those things never happened. That's not what this verse is saying. This verse is saying, all the things that I've counted on for my confidence in the past, I leave those behind. And I find now my confidence in Christ. That's who I'm pursuing. That's what this verse is telling us. Maybe you need counselling. Maybe you need to talk to someone who help you process some of the things that have occurred in your past. That's good. I have. I do. But there are things that I used to be confident in about my past. Son of missionary, son of a preacher. Knew all my Bible verses when I was very young. Was the fastest to open up my Bible at sword drill. You know what, some of you know what sword drill is. I took a secret pride in the fact that I was better than most of my peers. That was my confidence. But that confidence won't carry me to rejoicing. It carries me to always be striving to be better than you so that I can feel better about myself. What's the defining marks of a life of rejoicing? First one, the ability to identify counterfeit confidences. What is the list that you're drawing on? Second one, the mindset to measure things by a new standard. All that glitters is not gold. Compared to Jesus, 
When Christ is the standard, everything else is dung. It's manure. And the third one, to know that success isn't defined by a rival, but by a direction. What are you pursuing? Who are you pursuing? Now, those three things, those three things in your life, wow, even when there are hardships, even when there are circumstances which are painful, even when there is grief, we know what it means to rejoice as a people because we have Christ. Because he has taken a hold of us And we don't have to win his approval or anybody else's anymore. That frees us to be a rejoicing people. A worshipping people. A people of praise. Even as we pursue him. Even as we continue day by day to fight sin and gain Christ. And let's have grace with each other in that. But of all all of us who are mature think this way, and if you think differently about anything, verse 15 says, it's not my job to hammer you until you do think like me. This says, if anyone does think differently about that, God will make it clear to them. Our responsibility, verse 16, live up to whatever we've already attained. Wherever you are in this pursuit of Christ, just live up to that and see what tomorrow holds. Keep stepping in the direction of Christ and we will rejoice. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for our time together. Thank you again that we can celebrate mums. Help us to be a people who laugh with those who laugh in motherhood and to weep with those who weep in motherhood. Help us to know that success, even in that, is not a rival but a direction. Help us to be a rejoicing people who find our confidence in you and not us. We are weak. We need your help. So we are grateful for your word and the gift of the spirit. Strengthen us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.